I'm Michael Johnson, and I beat the often path by helping to facilitate the legal cannabis supply chain. Is the green rush over? Are NFTs still a thing? Was it wrong of me to put my life savings into AMC stock? Michael Johnson is the CEO of Metric, a company that makes supply chain software for the cannabis industry. Now, if talking about cannabis bothers you, I suggest you tune out right now. This is one of those businesses that makes sense when you learn about it, but it seems so out of left field for an uneducated person such as myself. Today, we discuss the cannabis industry boom and maturation of the green rush as what was once an emerging field becomes more commonplace. Metric has over 250,000 users for their track and trace software program, and they're trying to bring safety and oversight to the wild west of the cannabis space. So what does this mean for you? Well, the next time you buy an edible from the store, you can trust that it's safe thanks to Metric, and who doesn't want that? So here's Michael Johnson, I'm Ross Palmer, and this is Beat the Often Path. Well, welcome to the show, Michael. That was perfect. You did a great intro. Um, the question is this. What kind of business is this, and where did the idea come from? I'm always fascinated with business models that I can't even imagine why they existed or how they existed, and this is definitely one of those. So where did this all begin? Uh, to, I, first of all, I appreciate you having me on and uh, happy to share uh, everything I can with you about, about myself and about Metric and certainly the process here. Uh, Metric is, uh, we're, we're actually the software that creates the, um, the regulatory backbone of the legal cannabis ecosystem in the United States. And so we represent uh, nearly 70% of all states that have legal cannabis operations Within them, uh, we create the software and, uh, elect and, and technological ecosystem for which all of the cannabis in the supply chain is tracked, measured, uh, tested, and really creates the best foundation for protecting public health. Uh, Metric itself is sort of a, a 30-year-old startup, if you will, um, and it was nice. created in, uh, in, in rural, kind of in a, in a place uh, outside of Lakeland, Florida, um, to work really as in as a as a tool that helps facilitate the agricultural supply chain, and that's really where it started. Um, again, something like 30 years ago, and so our founders were wonderful folks, and they did a variety of different things in terms of helping uh, grow packer shippers, helping folks that develop um, you know uh, structure infrastructure to uh, to to facilitate their supply chain. The part of, of the state of Florida where I'm at is pretty substantial as it relates to facilitating the supply chain in Southeast United States. And so uh, they work pretty closely with a number of folks that have emerged and become really quite large cogs in the supply chain wheel. Uh, ultimately, uh, about 15 years ago, got involved with an opportunity via, um, via somebody that they worked with uh, that leveraged both software solutions and also RFID technology to provide um, what, what at that time was the very first cannabis track and trace solution for the state of Colorado. And it's wow. very different than anything they had worked on in the past. And the, the product is fundamentally different than anything they had built in the past. But having a lot of experience in the agricultural space, having a lot of experience in traceability in the supply chain, certainly put the folks that, that were here at the time in the best possible position to be successful and really um, kind of create the stepping off point for the rest of the state or the rest of the country as legalization has progressed over the last decade. Well, that's an awesome start. So it began in a different industry, and then they said at some point, hey, this kind of tech applies directly to this fledgling market of the new cannabis industry. That's right. 
That's awesome. When did they pivot? When did you pivot? Um, so the I, I've been a part of the business for a few years now. Uh, the founders, as I said, 30-year-old startup. So uh, they would have pivoted when that opportunity came up in Colorado, and that was about 15 years ago. Okay. Uh, I wouldn't describe it as a full pivot then. It was sort of uh, this This could be an interesting application of uh, of the, the technology that they had. And it turns out that cannabis is so fundamentally different that it, it didn't work that way and they needed to build something completely from scratch. Uh, but they didn't, they, they certainly didn't abandon some of the other areas that they were focused on. Uh, that dealt with a lot of uh, agriculture, fresh food agriculture in particular, uh, tracking of air cargo, police evidence rooms, so on and so forth. And most of those uh, verticals have, have either been exited or or those parts of the business were spun out, you know, a handful of years ago, well before my time. Mm, that makes sense. So for the people who don't understand, myself included, what is the issue? I mean, I think we can all understand that when you take an unregulated market and then try to bring it into something that's regulated, there's going to be all kinds of issues and a lot of standards and practices that need to be added that just weren't there before. So what is the problem that you're trying to solve and how does that work? And what would have happened without metric, for example? It's a it's an interesting kind of a thing to think about because there's not a lot of industries that were sort of, you know, functioned but in a legal sense and have been converted not only into a legal industry, but initially and in many cases primarily as a medical industry. And so you're taking something that wasn't legal, not only are you regulating it, but you're also uh, putting it into a lexicon that supports the, the use by patients that have to generally get some sort of a medical card, which is something unto and, and totally above and beyond what anybody who's doing the illegal market, you know, in addition to just basic commerce. And so what metric essentially is able to do is able to pull in all the different players in the supply chain and supply chain in and of itself is a little bit of a misnomer because it's not so much of a chain as it is more of a, almost like a supply network or supply mesh. Um, when you grow a plant, a plant, depending on how you grow it, could produce uh, you know anything anywhere from a few ounces to some plants in Northern California can produce you know an excess of 100 pounds, which is wild. Uh, and you harvest that plant. Um, the, the flower that you harvest, the cannabis that you can harvest, is, it could go a variety of different places. It could you know, all get harvested, put in the same box and sent to somebody else, and they take everything that you've harvested. It could also be broken into multiple different pieces uh, and sent to different, different um, buyers of that product for different use cases. So whether it's processing the cannabis flower into um, some, kind of a, some kind of an oil or a concentrate, or folks that are taking the flower and um, breaking it apart and putting it into pre-rolls, uh, there's there's no shortage of different applications that folks have for for cannabis. And as you can imagine, because of the the challenges, I think, with trying to set up a, a brand new market, but also navigating something that is still federally illegal, you want to have the appropriate levels of safeguards in place to protect public health, uh, protect children, protect any number of different uh, different folks that might come in contact with cannabis, because as as I think some people forget, it, it is a psychoactive substance and there's not a whole lot of those that are available without a prescription or something like that. Uh, and so what we're able to do and what, what Metric has really become the leader of is uh, creating an ecosystem to where every step along the way, what we refer to from seed to ultimate retail sale uh, is tracked. And that helps facilitate uh, really good visibility for regulators to help make sure that the properly tested and safe product is available. Um, but it also allows uh, regulators and folks 
that are that are in states where legal cannabis can be consumed to have the peace of mind that the infrastructure to be proactive to do a uh, perhaps a recall or to ensure that uh, packaging rules and guidelines are met uh, that that this functionality exists and so if you think back a few years ago to uh, romaine lettuce being recalled in the entire country and in fact that you couldn't get romaine lettuce anywhere for for quite some time uh, and you kind of compare that to what happens in the cannabis space that just that would never happen because we have such great visibility into exactly where the source plants are if there's ever any substance that for whatever reason has become contaminated uh, or is or is at risk we're able to do a very surgical very precise recall effort in partnership with our state uh, with our with our state partners to make sure that we're acting super quickly um, we're not disrupting the entire industry and and ultimately creating a really sustainable uh, foundation such that uh, public health and public safety are are protected. That makes perfect sense. Uh, what are some of the issues of the various steps along the way that might exist from the seed to the final product? What are some things that need to be accounted for? Yeah, any anywhere along the way. So you have, I mean, we talk about public health, um, but we also talk about public health in the sense that there's a number of um, a number of opportunities along the supply chain for product to be both diverted and inverted. And so what, what happens for folks is because sometimes the regulations can be fairly rigorous, you've got folks that are trying to find ways to maybe grow some products and take it outside of the supply chain, um, or they've grown products um, maybe in a, in a way that's not part of the legal supply chain and are trying to add it to the legal supply chain so that they have uh, distribution and, and better flexibility. The real risk here is that cannabis of today is very different than cannabis of 20, 30 years ago. THC contents are exceptional. You see um, buds and flower that I mean, you could, they're so dense, you could, and some of them are going to bounce like a, like a golf ball. Um, and inside, you're going to find different scenarios where, you know, mold, depending on the condition where a plant is grown, could be ripe, uh, ripe for, ripe for growth. Um, you could find a situation where folks are using different types of nutrients or pesticides and kind of anything along the way. So proper testing is really something that's critical. And so at the, at the growth phase, uh, different additives are are certainly a big problem for uh, for plants for some folks. I mean, I would say generally the the legal market is trying to do things the right way, but you know we you know, there's always um, always opportunity for for folks maybe to want to color outside the lines. And so uh, in that time, the required testing and the really close tracking of each individual plant and the harvest amounts and, and where the harvests are located is critical to ensure that everything's tested appropriately. Of course, at that point, when you transfer uh, a harvest to a processor, to a distributor, something like that, there's a risk that there's cross-contamination where, you know, that product is combined with another product or it's going through an exercise to, um, to add into cookies or gummies or something like that. And of course, anytime you're processing something, you introduce the opportunity for any, any number of different, different foreign elements to get into something that you consume. Um, when you talk about risks associated with vaping that have nothing to do with cannabis at all, just vaping in general, uh, yeah. you get into the same similar conversation. And so all along the way, you have opportunities to divert, invert, and somehow uh, subjugate the, the very, very important testing process. And you have the opportunity for, uh, for untested and, and potentially unsafe cannabis to make it into the environment, usually the black market. And, and for us, that's, that's job number one to do the very best we can to provide a, a transparent and really secure supply chain such that that doesn't happen. 
Yeah. And there's a number of contaminants depending on what the end product ends up being, right? So if it gets to be in the form of a, a, a pen or something like that, then you might be introducing butane or other harsh solvents at some point along the way. So are you testing for those kinds of chemicals or is that part of this chain, how much solvent remains in a final product? Or Because there can be Absolutely. a lot of nasty things that come along with these processes, right? Absolutely. Uh, depending on the state you're in, there's over 90 different contaminants that could be tested for. And, and I think mold is the one that folks think about the most, but that's that's just one of the 90. And there's a number of different foreign elements that really could, could make folks sick. And that, again, has nothing to do with cannabis. It has to do with anything that you're consuming. Same reason why you have a test of beef and milk and a variety of other, uh, of other food products. So um, metric allows the facilitation of the supply chain and really acts as kind of a, a gatekeeper um, for products that have not gotten proper testing to ensure they do get proper testing. And that ends up being, I think, probably one of the biggest uh, and most influential elements of the system, the, the requirement to, for certain products or generally for all products to be appropriately tested before they can be transferred and pushed down then to the next piece of the supply chain. That's very fast. You know, it's something that crossed my mind. In different states, obviously, I'm sure there's different regulations. You're also operating in Guam. Uh, in California here, we have this sticker that's on a lot of products, which says this product is known to the state of California to cause cancer or reproductive defects or other harm. Um, to what extent can any of these things be made safe? Or to what extent can, you know, if you're combusting a plant and inhaling it, for example, how do we deem that one version of that inherently, let's say, unsafe process is safer than another? Uh, I think I think the safety element really is not just what you're what you're experiencing in, in inhaling something that's combustible. Um, I mean, in California, for the first time, actually this year, you're finding a situation where retail sales of products derived from concentrate have eclipsed retail sales from flour. Wow. So that means the majority of sales, at least, are um, are in, in a form that folks are, are not inhaling. Uh, so there's a lot of elements that go into the public safety piece, uh, not, not, to, I mean, not to even sidestep the availability. So ensuring that you know, children and folks that, that aren't, um, aren't desiring to actually have experiences um, that one might have with cannabis is, is a pretty big deal. And so there's a lot of packaging regulations that you talk about um, that are going to help make sure that items are properly identified and the risks are, are really clearly observed on the outside of that package. Um, but regardless of uh, it, it, when you get into a situation when we certainly talk about with concentrate and, you know, how strong something is. And uh, I think we've all heard stories of folks that have, that have had a gummy experience, a gummy, and maybe it takes a little longer for them to feel the effects. And then all of a sudden they, they feel a lot more of an effect than they expected. And this, this type of thing is going to happen in bed for three days. Right. Yeah. And so if you're if you're used to taking a kind of a gummy and you take it every day or you take it frequently and then, you know, it, it's somehow the mix is messed up or the concentrate isn't uniform throughout the gummy and you're got a gummy bear and you just take half and bite the head off. Well, something something happened there and you don't have uniformity in the concentrate. And for whatever reason, all of the THC is inside that head. Well, that's probably not going to be the experience that you expected. <laughs> right. Uh, right. So testing is is not just about what you're referring to in terms of you know, inhaling a combustible product, uh, it's a lot more to do with making sure that what you're getting and the experience you're, you're expecting is aligned. And, and there's a lot of contaminants, there's a lot of approaches that people take. And frankly, there's, there's a lot of things that just happen in any supply chain, regardless whether it's cannabis or, or not, mm -hmm. um, that you want to make sure that you're, 
you're grabbing onto because the risks associated with missing something in the cannabis space are a little bit more significant than the romaine lettuce example. I mean, romaine lettuce, to my knowledge, at least I'm not familiar with any romaine lettuce that, that has any psychoactive effects, but I'm across it, let me know. Yeah, exactly. If it does, they're going to be recalling that one soon. Absolutely. So this space in general, I mean, I know you've worked in high growth startups and you're a tech uh, CEO. That's mm-hmm. your roots. What do you think about the cannabis space in general? Because I'm fascinated with the concept of bubbles and uh, these giant emerging markets. I mean, every once in a while, a new market comes along, something completely changes, and then you have this gold rush where everybody rushes in and they want to be a part of it. NFT craze of a couple years ago, even you know Ethereum, Bitcoin, like every so often there's a new craze. And it's been very clear that the legalization of cannabis has created with it this incredible Wild West gold rush thing. We're several years into that, and it's becoming more of a mature market. And I think that speaks to the reason that your company exists and is so successful. But how do you see the space evolving and growing now? Is the bubble bursting? Is the bubble just changing? What's going on with the market in general? It's a great question, and especially in California where you're at, some of the more mature states, uh, in, in particular the metric, the states that metric represents, California, Oregon, Colorado, uh, you're experiencing the effects of, call it a, a burst bubble, call it you know some kind of a retraction or right-sizing. Everybody's got a, a you know, fun little piece of jargon for it. Uh, that's normal, and it's, it's, it's certainly, I think, an element of it that's painful, and I definitely feel for any of the farmers, processors, uh, distributors, uh, dispensaries that are that are not doing as well as they would like. Um, unfortunately, that's that's a that is an effect of, of a free market system. And so you get in a situation where a lot of folks think they can make a bunch of money on something, and they're going to kind of stake their claim. And you know, unfortunately, there's only so many people in each state, and there's only so much for for everyone. And so that that kind of ebb and flow, um, that up and down, and we see it in every industry. We see it in the stock market. And I think where we're at in the industry right now is is a maturing, and you've got folks that I think started in the industry with not a lot of experience because, I mean, outside of the illegal market, there's not a whole lot of anyone in the planet that had a lot of experience with, with cannabis and, and cannabis commerce, uh, and and we have folks that came in and they they tried an approach, and some folks were much more successful with their approach. And we've got, you know, no shortage of examples of of companies out there that are still being you know experiencing wild profitability and really massive growth and of course, there's a number of folks that haven't made it. And so our objective is to try and help facilitate an environment where, you know, in those ebbs and flows, when people are struggling, they're still uh, able to find a way to be compliant and friction in the most frictionless way possible. And I'll be the first one to admit that metric wasn't, you know, certainly certainly in the in the beginning was a little bit more challenging for folks, I think, to, to grab onto. Um, but the industry itself is is like no other. And so I, I do look at um, at what metric has been able to provide as as the backbone for the commercial activity that's been able to occur legally uh, as as really that foundation for these businesses that are able to be successful to continue to be successful uh, more credibility more um, comfort that the public has in the legal market uh, the more the legal market will grow and so I, I look at metric as continuing to kind of work towards learning some of the lessons or helping folks in, in states that are less mature uh, see some of the lessons and recognize that they, too, are in their own green rush. And they, too, will experience uh, a little bit of a, of a normalization uh, in terms of 
in terms of folks that, that won't be able to make it as the, as the market matures and we get a lot more experience. I think a lot of us forget that the market overall is, is really not much more than a decade old. And it's really in its infancy of what the market will become 30, 40, 50 years from now. Do you think that a lot of the players that are in there, that you basically have to be more serious as a business person to succeed in an industry where maybe a few years ago, again, anybody thought I could just get $100,000 and get rich quick. Um, do you think that that's no longer the case and it's kind of selecting out those types of entrepreneurs? Absolutely. 100%. Just like any other industry. When you when you get into something brand new, you're able to charge significant premiums um, when there's not a lot of of uh, of of inventory out there, find yourself in a tough spot. I mean, parts of California and Oregon and, and Colorado, you know, at some point in the beginning, folks are getting $5,000 a pound parts of last year on a wholesale market. Last year, you know, you saw that dip in some cases below $500 a pound. And so if you're getting, you know, if you're selling something for $5,000 a pound, it, you know, you're making a lot of money and it doesn't really matter that you have the most efficient processes and you have the most automated you know, systems and, and folks, you would not, you would not think that you have to spend a lot of time being, you know, this, this real big advocate of precision agriculture, like you would if you're farming corn or big lettuce. Um, but we see folks that do. And so in applying a lot of the functionality that I think metric brings to the table, specifically in the use of RFID, which is the standard in agriculture, um, the opportunity for folks to really create massive precision in their in their uh, in their supply chain processes uh, certainly exists. I'm not sure that many are taking advantage of that in the same way that they could. But if RFID is ubiquitous in bib lettuce and you're getting you know less than ten dollars for a case and sticking an RFID tag on it, uh, and you look in, in a plant could be producing still thousands of dollars of value to you, um, it's it's definitely a massive benefit, and folks really can take advantage of that. I, I think many have not, and I think that's a that's a big miss. But again, if you're as wildly profitable as many of these businesses started, is that something that you really need to spend your time on? Or is your focus really on trying to expand as quickly as possible and grab as much market share as possible? And so we're in a situation where, you know, the market becomes quite saturated and the existing processes to produce um, product that's the highest quality and in the most, um, most cost conscious way, um, that, that hasn't necessarily been the focus hand in hand. I would argue that quality certainly has been there, especially in California and Colorado. There's a massive focus on on quality, and I think they've earned they've earned their reputation appropriately. Um, but in terms of really trying to figure out on a plant by plant basis how you're able to produce an additional 10 grams per harvest, I'm not sure that that's ubiquitous. Um, and an additional 10 grams per harvest per plant for the average farmer could be the difference between survival and, and bankruptcy. Right. Right, especially at scale when you've got gigantic, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, operations. Right. So for you personally, I know you've come into this relatively recently. Um, would you say that you're primarily motivated by entrepreneurship and business as a general concept of which this presented an opportunity for you? Or are you very particularly passionate about the cannabis industry? What's your primary motivator in business? For me, it was it was an exciting industry, part of uh, part of an opportunity to be kind of something that's brand new, um, that really has the you know incredible potential to to kind of go to the moon. Um, for me, I've done most of my software and technology experience has been in in healthcare related firms, um, and I and I I love that. I, I've had a great experience there. Um, this this opportunity here, and when I met the founders. 
uh, metric, I think it really it really hit an entrepreneurial nerve in looking at what the opportunity was, looking at um, what we can be in the future, and looking at how important a really strong ecosystem is in terms of protecting public health and in terms of building something sustainable for the future. There's not a lot of other industries that are completely brand new that allow for you to really um, really do a lot of exciting things, be be part of that frontier. Um, and, and similarly to some other folks in the Green Rush, part of something that that I think folks will look back on, you know, for for decades and perhaps centuries. On this is this is how this this brand new industry became legal. This is you know the way that we were able to build something that was sustainable, and this is how we could be successful with it. And I genuinely believe, looking back at at what Metric is providing as that foundation, will be a big reason why that success is able to be enjoyed. It certainly seems like a very necessary step as part of the mat- maturation of the, the market. So for those who are entrepreneurial and who have looked at this, maybe it's not the the hot industry that it was a couple of years ago, or maybe people are looking elsewhere who are looking for that next quick thing. I've seen at a distance the types of business that entrepreneurs wanted to start, how it changed. You know, In the beginning, somebody maybe wanted to grow and sell that product, but then they realized that price came down. So then they said, okay, maybe I'll create seeds and then I can sell those seeds to somebody else who can grow at scale. And then maybe they said, okay, that's also oversaturated. Now I'm going to create concentrates on a personal scale because I can take a whole bunch of product and I can make a sellable concentrate with ultra premium, make stuff like resin, rosin, all of that stuff. Stuff. And then maybe they say, I'm going to create equipment or sell these things. So the, the concept of where somebody who's entrepreneurial jumps in, I've noticed that it changes. And the idea of what makes money has also changed in the industry. What do you think that the opportunity is now for an entrepreneurial minded person in the industry? And where do you think that the opportunity definitely isn't for somebody who's trying to break in? Great question. I mean, we, we ask ourselves that all the time so that we can try and be as uh, as flexible and as agile to, to change into what will help support the industry as we can. Um, we're primarily a government contractor, so we're not really not really marketing so much to licensees to the growers, but we still they are in many ways still our customer. Um, and even though uh, we're not necessarily providing um, like the next great widget for them, they are a customer and, and our responsibility as an enterprise level software solution for them is to evaluate where they are having the biggest gaps and where they might have trouble being successful. And so from a metric perspective, I look and I would encourage anybody to get um, really deep into finding ways that can help bring forth precision agriculture and the techniques in precision agriculture to the cannabis space. Because as folks get much more efficient in terms of farming, um, in terms of being able to harvest um, bigger, more quality, uh, sometimes some folks really just care a lot about a high THC bloom. Um, there's, there's a variety of different things that I think folks can get a lot better at, and we just don't see it. And so in providing the, the RFID tags for folks, um, literally, Every plant has the opportunity to be evaluated, and there's so many data points on a per plant basis through the harvest cycle, and so many opportunities to to really maximize that yield. I I highly recommend anybody get involved there because that's going to be the difference. When I mean pricing, as as you get more supply, wholesale pricing, the market's going to push down pricing. There is some level of equilibrium, absolutely, um, but at that point, once you reach that point of equilibrium, 
then it's a race to see how people can do it in the most profitable way. And if you can get ahead of that race, because I definitely think you're starting to see it in Colorado, uh, Oregon, and California, but you're going to see it before long in Michigan, Massachusetts, uh, Illinois, and some of the other states. And so if you can get there and produce something as an entrepreneur, I think you could be very, very successful. What a great insight. And a lot of these things, a lot of these processes have come from other industries. And a lot of the innovations in this particular market was just stuff that was innovated in other markets maybe even 100 years ago. Like if you look at the petroleum industry, where so many scientists and so many billions of dollars have been spent getting every single cent out of a barrel of oil, you can see that reflected in every single part of our entire economy from single-use plastic to toothbrushes to all of these byproducts of the petrochemical industry. And then you take some of those processes, say, hey, short path distillation, distillation in general, making, you know, petroleum distillate, same technique can be used to make cannabis distillate. And a lot of these early innovators just took these old concepts and apply them to this. And maybe you're suggesting that if we model after very uh, entrenched industries, like how is somebody making money on corn or on romaine lettuce or on something where the margins are historically much lower and that's been going on for hundreds of years, anything that helps you go more in line with those processes where they're not expecting to just make a fortune off of nothing will probably help you succeed in this industry for the years to come. Does that seem absolutely accurate? 100%. And pay attention, especially to the to precision, agriculture precision, um, the procedural and food production, uh, where folks have been able to get, get pretty, pretty detailed in what they're doing. Uh, as an example, uh, every single, uh, every single cow, all cattle for commercial purposes has an RFID tag stapled to its ear. It's an FDA requirement. And so the level of detail and the level of information, the additional sensors that are part of many of those tags allow for folks to, to have really, really good insight into what's happening. Because, you know, in some farms, cows are just kind of grazing, grazing openly. Obviously, some farms are much smaller. Um, you also have uh, really amazing detail and incredible intricacy in Madagascar for the production of vanilla. Um, Ooh, production of vanilla like per ounce from an edit from a, a, a a food source or a food item, a vanilla, pure vanilla in Madagascar is exceptionally expensive. The level of detail that's paid to each one of those plants, um, how closely those plants are tracked, how closely to the minute, um, I think to the second actually, you know, how much light, where the light's coming from, what the humidity looks like, what the different nutrients and pesticides and so on and so forth. Um, there is there's tremendous uh, kind of uh, paths that have already been already been laid for folks to follow as they get deeper into this and find a way to be more successful. Well, I appreciate you taking the time. It's been very enlightening. Um, it's a very cool business. Like I said, I'm always fascinated by businesses that are just unusual or surprising. And uh, this is definitely one. And when you hear about it, of course, it makes perfect sense. But it's not something that will come to the mind of the average person. And that's why I wanted to sit down and, and hear your story. So I'll let you wrap up this episode. I've got a little question for you. So what is something that you personally believe that not everybody believes? What's something that you believe that most people wouldn't believe? Uh, I believe that your mistakes are really what, what build your character. And so we have, we talk a lot here about perfection is not, is not necessarily attainable. It's not necessarily the goal either. Um, the journey is, journey is the way, I believe, uh, strongly in a number of stoic principles, um, bear water. And so continue to move down that path. But I, I have a lot of conversation with folks and it seems like it's, it's a trendy thing to talk about, um, but I don't think a lot of people believe it. And if you really get into it, you really recognize that 
the obstacle is the way to, to quote Ryan right. Holiday. <laughs> yes. Um, is, uh, Marcus Aurelius. Yeah. Yeah, there is. And, and there, there, gen, there genuinely is, I think, a much uh, higher level of satisfaction and a much higher purpose in anything that you're that you're working towards. Yeah. Well, that's a very noble goal. May we all attain it in our work and lives and beyond. Where can people support your company and find out more about what you do? Yeah, metric.com, M-E-T-R-C.com is, is our is our website. We're in the government space, so I, I would not describe uh, our social presence in the same way that, that many others might, but we're certainly available on LinkedIn. Anybody can reach me at any time. Uh, my email address is, is michael.johnson at metric.com. Uh, and and I'm I'm happy to happy to connect with anybody and I really just can't thank you enough for for welcoming me on on the program and for uh, creating an opportunity for folks to learn more about Metric. Well, it's my pleasure, a pleasure to get to know you, and thank you for taking time from your busy schedule to sit down with me. And uh, with that, the official podcast is over. Thanks again for listening to another episode of the Beat the Often Path podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode or any of the episodes we've shared, it would mean a great deal to me if you subscribe to the podcast on your platform of choice or on YouTube. And of course, if you shared either the show itself or this particular episode with somebody who might want to hear it to help us grow the audience for the show, I would greatly, greatly appreciate it. So if you've been a passive listener all this time, I get it. I understand. There's no big deal with that. But it would really, really mean a lot to me if you'd leave a positive review and help me grow this show. So thanks again for listening and I'll see you next time.